Welcome to Organisational Communication Insights, a podcast produced for the University of Southern Queensland's Master of Business Administration. I'm Dr. Daniel Maddock, a digital pedagogy and media specialist and part of the MBA design team. In this podcast series, we talk to leaders from a variety of industries about effective communication strategies. Guests explore tactics targeted to specific stakeholders and consider their impact on the brand and reputation of the organisations they lead. These interviews were recorded via the internet, so please keep this in mind as you listen to this episode. Nia Yari Giam, Jagenba, Na Gayabu, Yarrawa peoples, Nia Toowoomba. This podcast is recorded on the traditional lands of the Giabul and Yarrawa peoples in a place called Toowoomba. Our guests for this episode run a specialist consultancy organisation called Stormbirds Organisational Strategies, where they work with businesses to prepare for and respond to issues and crises through strategy and communication. Leonie Van Dieven has 20 years' experience in the volatile aviation industry. In that time, she developed and delivered strategies for a variety of complex and high-profile projects, including Brisbane's new runway, royal family visits, international airline launches, the 2018 Commonwealth Games, and the 2014 G20 Summit. Her business partner at Stormbirds, Jane Hedger, has spent more than 30 years working across Queensland government and not-for-profit organisations. Jane has been responsible for statewide media and communications for Queensland Health and the Department of the Premier and Cabinet. She has delivered statewide services, operational reviews, and pandemic, emergency, and disaster communications management. Leonie Van Dieven and Jane Hedger from Stormbirds Organisational Strategies, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. Thanks, Daniel. Now, this is the first time we've done a conversation with two guests at one time. You're both from the same organisation. We'll have to (laughs) discern our voices a little bit when we're talking. But maybe if I start with Leone, how could you describe strategic communication? Because that's what we're talking about today, strategic communication, both internal to the organisation but also external. How do you think about that at Stormbirds? Well, uh, for me and for us, strategic communications is communications that is planned from beginning to end to achieve a measurable result. So one size does not fit all. You need to consider, um, and this, we would have heard this before, the who, what, where, when, why and how um, of your messaging, what your audience needs are, what they want, what their triggers are, what their motivations are, how they digest the information, how they prefer to communicate, They prefer to listen to podcasts or read an email. Um, You even need to consider things about their political, religious, cultural, emotional, environmental things as well and factors in their age. So it's that's what strategic communications is. It's not just doing one message that fits all. You really have to think about why you're communicating, the purpose behind it, the audience. If they're established, you have connections with them already, if they're supportive or antagonists, do they trust you? Um, the channel, how best to reach that audience? Could is it TikTok? Is it a media release? Is it advertising? Is it news? You know, is it a newsletter? And and once you've got all of that information, which is quite a bit, then you've got to keep it simple. Your message has got to be clear and concise. So you're telling me that strategic communication really being different from communication in that you you have to think about the other side. So you're not just saying, here's what I need to say, there it is, I'll send it out an email, it's done, or I'll you know, do a press release, it's done. But you're thinking about the receiving end as well. Uh, you're pretty much um, mostly thinking about the receiving end. Um, if you're only thinking about yourself, it's, it's one-way communication. You're setting yourself up to fail um, from the outset. You're potentially missing the point or the way the audience you're trying to reach um, wants to get your message. And in in my background, particularly with media, um, I have a very heavy media experience and you've got PR people who send out a media release to 2,000 media or journalists or, or news outlets and they just wait. I used to send out a media release to one or two and um, I knew that they would pick it up and I knew that the message that I sent to them was skewed towards what their particular interest was or their strength was or their specialty was. You have more uh, chance of getting picked up in that scenario than, than scattergunning approach. And so strategic communications is the opposite of scattergun approach. Um, very, very um, thought through. There's a lot of time and planning that goes into strategic communications. And I think if you have not 
done that, then you're just communicating. You're not being strategic in the way you're doing it. Jane, you've worked for the Queensland Government. You've worked for Queensland Health, uh, the Department of the Premier and Cabinet. Have you found instances in your experience of one-way communication versus this strategic communication that Leonie's talking about? Um, Look, Daniel, I think that one-way communication happens all around us all the time. It's when people think, well, I'll just let people know about this and then uh, I've done done my part. Forgetting that actually by the definition of communication, it is a two-way street. Not only are you giving a message, but somebody there has to be receiving it. And so often, and I don't think it's it's particular to government, any organisation will think that by sending out information, they've communicated, when in fact they haven't considered, is there anybody out there receiving it? Is it Has it been sent in a way in which they would receive it? Uh, is it the right information for them? And a, a lot of those considerations that you have when you actually sit down and plan purposeful communications, which you then manage that message and respond to to the way people are receiving and uh, producing and doing things with that message. I think that particularly when you become a leader, strategic communications suddenly becomes very important. Once you become a leader, you have to be aware that every single thing you do and say sends a message whether you intend it to or not. So if you want to be effective as a leader, if you want to get cut through with your audience, if you want people to do what you would like them to do with the information you're giving them, then you really need to curate that message that you send. So they're the verbals and the non-verbals. It's how you behave as a leader. It's how you speak as a leader. It's how you listen, remembering that two-way communication. It's how you listen as a leader. So being strategic about your communication, saying, okay, if everything I do sends a message, how can I be purposeful? How can I make sure that every message that I send is consistent, is considered, and that you are communicating in a two-way manner so that as a leader, people trust you because you pay attention to what to the communication they have with you, that they're talking to you, they're listening to you, and you're having a a purposeful and productive exchange of information and ideas. And I think that's probably an element of leadership that a lot of new leaders overlook, uh, and sometimes a lot of long-term leaders have become so practised at not doing that they don't necessarily see the benefit. But when you look at effective leaders... Effective leaders have key messages built into their core. Effective leaders don't say the wrong thing. That's a really interesting point you've made there, Jane, that we're communicating all the time. We're sending out messages all the time, even if we don't think we are, even if we're not standing on the podium, simply by being in the workplace and doing your job, you're communicating to your staff, it would seem. Yep. Oh, absolutely. And I'm, I'm going to give you a really populist, some, some populist examples. Things like, for example, and I, I noticed this in a magazine in a supermarket the other day, Kate Middleton, when she goes out, um, she wears British designers. Now, that communicates to the general population that she is loyal to, to British and, uh, and English designers. It says a lot to that industry. It speaks about her consistency and her loyalty and all of those things that are part of her brand. Now, we're not talking about a great, a great business leader there, but certainly someone who has a lot of influence. And I think they're the things we forget about. We come back from a board meeting and we walk into our office and we slam the office door. <laughs> now, your entire staff go, something bad went down at the meeting, and that's a communication. Now, it might not have been. I've walked in there, I'm juggling coffee and my meeting papers, and the doors slipped behind me and closed. As an aware leader, I will open that door and walk out and say, oh, sorry, didn't mean to slam the door. I'm really hyper aware that everything I do affects those people around me and sends a message. And again, if you're someone who says, I have an open door policy, but you keep that door closed all day, which of those messages actually has more meaning for your staff? It's those incidental things we forget about are also part of strategic communication. 
obviously the larger part is is what you say and what you're doing but those those little things that people observe will either back up that key purposeful strategic communication or undermine it and that's why we talk about walking the talk it's not a throwaway line once you become a leader you are suddenly in the goldfish bowl and everything you do has to line up if you're going to achieve people trusting you and believing you and following you as a leader leonie coming back to you now if we flip the idea of communication on its head and think about communication as something that could possibly lead how the business runs, is that something that Stormbirds helps organisations with? The idea that you have communication first and then that can uh, dictate strategic planning for those organisations? Absolutely. Um, both Jane and I and our experience in businesses we've worked with have found that while some businesses do have a strategic plan um, and objectives and things like that, they have no communication. If you don't have communication, you cannot effectively run your business. You cannot effectively achieve your goals. You cannot effectively let your team know what objectives um, you're searching for, you're you're trying to achieve or um, how you're going to get there. And we've actually gone into businesses and um, not only helped with them define a strategic business plan, um, we've outlined exactly how the framework for the communication, ongoing communication for this three to five year business plan would need, you know, would need to be for it to be effective for them to be able to achieve their goals, not the goals we've given them, the goals they had developed and we put into a plan. And then these businesses have realised we actually do not have that function in-house. We are unable to deliver this strategic plan without those functions in-house. So it has been a real awakening um, for some businesses we've worked with that, you know, they may have and um, it, it truly shows when they don't understand what strategic communications is, is they're like, can the marketing person do that? No, the marketing person cannot do that. So we're not saying that strategic communication is something that comes after you do your planning and your operational activities. No, no. <laughs> it is intertwined. And if it's not intertwined, you don't have an effective business plan, strategic business plan. And, and Daniel, I think I would argue in a way that strategic communication comes first because part of planning purposeful communications is to plan the consultation phase. So before you start doing that planning, before you actually put the strategic plan into place, there's a whole series of communication that you have to undertake to consult and get the feedback in that you need to actually develop that strategic plan. So for us, listening and consultation are those key tenets and foundations of communication so that organisations firstly gather that information and mostly that information is going to be from their staff, from their clients, from their customers, from their suppliers and all of that information and those communications and interactions and feedback will then inform the strategic plan that we develop and inform the strategies that they're going to want to implement and the behaviours they're going to want to see back from those stakeholder groups. So it's absolutely a key skill and we continually hear and in government, in private business, in not-for-profits, when you're reducing staff, communication staff are the first to go. Uh, when you're increasing staff, they're the last to be brought on. And yet, actually, I, I believe that a communications function is as important as your, your business finance functions because it is the core of your business. Jane, you've worked in the, all those different uh, sectors that you mentioned, not-for-profit, private, government. Do you find that there needs to be a different tact for communication when it comes to different environments? I think that communication kind of transcends any of those boundaries and structures because the core the core tenants of it are the same no matter what your environment is. I do think that your communications, the constraints change. Uh, governments, understandably, again, when we talk about having purposeful, strategic, consistent communication, there's a lot of structure around government communication and layers of approval because it's really important. The government has a brand that's very important to protect so that people trust that they know what the government is going to do and how they're going to behave. 
So it's you get communication that seems sometimes to have been crafted by 17 different people. And a lot of those people will have moved a comma or a full stop or changed a couple of words. But they are very crafted and they are very used to sticking to key messages. Private companies, again, tend to be very protective around their brand. So again, there are crafted communication messages to both internal and external. Not-for-profits, again, tend to have uh, less formal communication staff. So communication really is pushed out to every member and they often are more, they are more values-driven often and therefore their commentary and their communications are maybe a little bit more informal, but again, always sticking to those, those core values. So I think there are some differences around the way in which communications are managed and the way in which they're disseminated. And also the ease, you know, large governments sometimes will have really good communication systems or because they're so large, might have very dispersed systems that aren't connected and therefore quite bad communication systems. And yet smaller organisations where there's only four people, provided all four people are uh, around and, and at work in these COVID times, you, you can get uh, really fast messaging out of them. But I think all organisations, again, that those basic communication skills and strategies are the same across them. Wouldn't you say that, Leonie? Oh, absolutely, particularly when it comes to um, people who are experts in strategic communications, they do actually uh, address communications the same way. But myself, having come from a pure corporate background, um, as Jane has just described, perhaps the red tape or checks and balances and the more cautious approach government takes, in my experience, um, it was very important for me to have um, an incredibly close and trusting relationship with the CEO or the senior decision makers so that we were able to um, get out information quite quickly when it was needed, particularly in regards to a media, you know, maybe a media inquiry. Um, so I was incredibly lucky to be able to do that across my career um, to work very, very nimbly um, and also to build a trust whereby becoming a company spokesperson in that I didn't need to actually go to the senior executive every time I needed to make a comment to media. And that is a level of trust that I think uh, some leaders have difficulty in giving to somebody else. Um, there's fear there, there's, there's um, the unknown, there's risk involved. So if future leaders actually get to know their senior comms um, people and build that trust, it will take an enormous amount of workload off the senior leaders um, and help the organisation respond um, quite quickly to threats or crisis um, um, and comments. Yeah, I agree, Leonie. And I think um, what really sets the good leaders apart is those who are actually willing to engage and be purposeful about their communications. And, and you see the difference. You see it in world leaders. You see it in organisational leaders. You see it in local community leaders. Those who are willing to engage, who work at their communications and who, who talk in two-way communication with their constituents, with their communities, with their stakeholders, they're the leaders that you notice and they're the leaders who are making a difference. How do how do those leaders um, help their organisation communicate within their business environment? You're talking about hand, handing off communication to a communications team or having an external company like Stormbirds help with that. But how do the leaders themselves help their organisation um, and lead their organisation in terms of that communication strategy? I think they have to lead by example. They have to be honest in their communications. They have to be clear in how they communicate. I think being very personable, and as Jane mentioned, you see leaders who are actually have a rapport. They don't speak in clipped key messages with corporate words, big corporate words in there. They actually bring their personality into how they communicate. And it is about allowing people to communicate effectively within their own personality um, and as a leader, being honest in your communications. If, if, you, if, if you're seen to be a leader who, who doesn't appear to give all the information or I've heard, everyone would have heard the words being a spin doctor, that, that implies lying. 
Um, it, it, it's quite offensive. And it's, it's about building trust and you build trust by being authentic. You really do. And if the leaders are being authentic, if the leaders are being open, if leaders are showing that they make mistakes, you know, and they can acknowledge those mistakes and they, they can move on, that's how they encourage other people to communicate. It's almost like a safety culture. Um, you want people to come forward um, if there's a safety issue. Um, but the way some some companies deal with, with informational mistakes by punishing people means people won't come forward. So you want transparency, you want, you know, authenticity, um, you want honesty and support your team. And I think if you lead that way, if you're that type of leader where you communicate the good and the bad, the good and the bad, that is absolutely critical, then you'll get the same from your team. And I think, Leonie, that um, that communicating the good and bad, that being authentic, that being transparent really comes down to um, when you know that you should be communicating something or speaking to someone, it's the onus is on you as a leader to do that. Um, I did some work with a lady out of the US a number of years ago, Jeannie Qualey, and she uh, had a tenant that if, if you're in the know, it's your turn to go or it's your go. And was basically when you think to yourself, mm, we should probably be talking to stakeholders about that. If you're having that thought, then you need to go, okay, I'm having that thought. There's obviously a need. We, we need to have a look at that and do something about it. Or in the workplace, you think, I really need to be talking to that staff member about that or I really need to, to say something here. Then you've become aware that there's a, a potential communication gap or a communication issue and you need to step up and do something about that. And as a leader, so many of the things that become issues will be things where you've had a moment in time earlier where you've gone, mm, I should talk to someone about that or mm, maybe we should tell the public about that or, you know, we, we should ask staff what the, how they feel about this. And if you'd taken that moment, the issue might not have blown up to become a, a situation, for example. So, again, it's I think, again, for, for leaders, really important to think first and foremost about communication and who should I be talking to and when you have those moments of going mm, I should probably be talking about this or asking people about that or communicating this then the onus is on you as a leader to step up and start that process and that again people then begin to trust that when there is something happening you'll talk to them when there is a problem they'll come to you and I think that's very key, again, building credibility and authenticity as a leader. I think as part of that process too, don't, leaders, you really need to think outside outside of the square and, and not think about it may be a positive message, but if you actually haven't thought about the potential ramifications of your message to people who do take offence to it or disagree, you haven't um, considered the entire you know, the, the entire plan, um, you're going to need to be able to go, well, who, who are the antagonists? Um, how are they going to attack us potentially? And if you've got that plan in front of you, um, you've got a potential crisis under control because you'll be able to say, well, we thought of that and this is our response to that or we're actually going to tweak our message or our delivery or our channel or who gives that message so as not to antagonise people who are going to, to um, you know, throw eggs at us. So that's strategic communications, thinking about all possibilities and, and all audiences. Is there a flip side to this thinking in that as a leader, um, not only should you be considering when it's your turn to communicate, but also when it's your turn to listen, that part of communication as well, that it's time to think, hey, I haven't heard from the floor for a while from my staff. It's been ages since I've spoken to Daniel. I wonder what he's thinking right now. It, it's absolutely imperative that that happens. But it's not just listening, it's really hearing. There are plenty of leaders that um, do that um, unauthentically and they think, yeah, okay, I've got a room full of people. They've had their rant. Oh, they've got that off their chest. Let's, you know, move on now. A, a strong leader, a trusted leader will actually take that information, whether they can right the wrong or, or, or achieve what uh, somebody wants, the information they've provided. 
leaders need to take that information and do something with it and they need to respond if, if a response is, is required, not just walk away. That's where you create more problems because the audience who said, we told you, we told you we didn't want this or we, we, we told you about that problem and you did nothing, it just creates bigger issues. So listening and hearing, um, that you, you've got to be prepared. If you don't want to know, don't ask. But if you want to know and you're prepared to do something about it, ask, and that makes you a strong and trusted leader. I mean, most people, and there'd be scenarios out there, there'd be examples that where leaders have listened, um, they've taken away, they've, they've and they've come back and responded, and while they can't uh, achieve what the audience has wanted, they're still respected because they actually listened and, and authentically took it on board. So it's an extra step to listening or hearing, yep. doing something, or else it's pointless. Yeah. I... Um... I'd also add to that in saying that really effective leaders and leaders who are comfortable in their leadership, who've got a, a good grasp on their own strengths and weaknesses, good leaders will seek out dissenting voices. They will seek out opinions and ideas that they know aren't the same as theirs. And often as a leader, one of the key things that you can do in putting together your teams we all talk about hiring for team fit, um, but there's a reason we actually should be hiring for team diversity whilst you need to have some cohesion and fit within that. You need diverse voices because different ways of thinking and different ways of looking at perspectives will inc incredibly strengthen your leadership and your position because you start to lead for a greater number of people. You start to build strategic and purposeful communications that address all of those various perspectives and that speak to and seek feedback from a wide variety of different a diversity of thought and diversity of experience. And I think as a leader, being willing to take on those people who have a diametrically opposed thinking to you is incredibly brave, but it also is incredibly rewarding. And as part of your communication plan should be to seek out those alternative voices, those dissenting voices, uh, those different voices, so that your message becomes stronger and richer and more informed and more involved. And I think that's, um, that's again, the thing that sets good leaders apart. This is... Um sort of leading on from that, Jane, it's just something that popped into my head as she was speaking, getting different um, ideas and obviously experiences, diversity. And there was one example um, that was left afield for me where we were doing a communication, a written communication, with using colours to call out important points. And um, I showed it to one of our team and he said, that doesn't work for me because I'm colourblind. Did not, and that did not even cross my mind <laughs> that a, a large percentage of the audience I was trying to get would miss that cue um, because of of his of colour blindness, um, and so little things like that. You now stick in my mind when I'm using colours in certain communications uh, about who I may be missing through my choice because I don't have the experience of colour blindness. And it's often something that is forgotten, especially internally, right? In terms of meetings, we've all been to meetings where a manager or a leader is in the room. Everyone sits down and listens to them speak, and there's almost no time made to listen from that manager. Yes, uh, and, and I think that happens in all organisations. We're all time poor. People want to get in. They want to. They want to say their bit. Everybody wants to have their little moment in the sun, what they need to say, and and then get back out again. I think that paying attention to listening is still one of the the really big lessons that most people at all levels of management still have to learn. And we all have to find ways to do that effectively and efficiently these days. As I say, we're, we're time poor. We've got so many mediums flooding us with messages and emails. And, you know, I looked the other day and I have something like for, for different organisations that I sit on boards of, I've got sort of about nine different email accounts um, I've got four or five social media accounts, plus then you have phone calls and uh, all those sorts of things. And, and we're bombarded constantly by messages. And I think our listening function has gone down. 
uh, because we're just we're trying to get to the next message. We're trying to get to the next appointment. Uh, that we're, we're trying to see another notifications popped up. And I think our attention span has become so small that we just don't, we don't make the time to do a lot of that consultative listening. And again, those people who I really have credited as leaders over the years, their ability to listen and be available and make themselves available to get that feedback is really what has set them apart. Do you think that having an understanding of how to communicate strategically and how to do it well influences the performance of the organization? I mean, do you, as a devil's advocate here, do you get more money? Does your organization do better? Do, do you have more <laughs> cut through when you communicate well or is it a necessary evil? <laughs> Um, that, that's a funny one because you can look at some really high-performing CEOs who are narcissistic sociopaths who, who don't really <laughs> listen to anyone. Um, not going to be anybody in the NBA at USQ? <laughs> no, of course not because you'll have knocked that all out of them before they get out the other side. Um, but, but you do. You, you, come ac- you come up against people constantly who you go, how on earth are they in that position because they don't do all these things. And often there's money and power, um, a money, power, politics, advantage behind that. But those people who genuinely have the hearts and minds of people and who run organisations that have the hearts and minds of people are people who have harnessed the power of communication and to communicate strategically. Uh, and quite often you'll get people who who do communicate on message and strategically and people people laugh and go, oh, you should be a politician, you know, you're so on message. But politicians do tend to be, they've put work into being strategic communicators and listening. Often they did it to get elected, not that they don't always do it when, they, when they're in. Uh, but I do think that having those skills, it does improve, massively improves you as a leader. That improves your organisation. Your staff, again, do what you do. If you're consultative, if you're openly communicate, if you surface tension in your team and in your organisation and make it safe for people to have those open and honest conversations, those people then see that working successfully in your organisation. Many of them will then replicate that in their teams and you start to, to grow that movement that really does genuinely elevate your business. I have a perfect example of somebody who's done just that through really authentic communication and everyone listening in should know this person. This is Sir Richard Branson. Now, I, I worked with um, Richard for 10 years and he's a, a, an authentic, caring communicator who listens and, in fact, he carries a little notebook around with him and he'll t- drop down ideas and a lot of the ideas that have gone on to make him a very, very rich man have come from listening to his team and to other people around him and and putting his money where his mouth is and supporting those, taking those risks. Richard himself, as as may or may not know, he's dyslexic. He doesn't like to um, send out big emails or or read things like that. So he he was very one-on-one and uh, when you were in the presence of Richard, you were the only one in the room and he truly, truly listened. And nobody can can deny his enormous success because he's he's just so personable and um, honest and authentic, um, speaking to anyone. Another trick he has which um, blew my mind is he would remember faces and names years apart, years apart. So there's another good trick if you want to be a good leader is if you remember somebody's name, um, people get very impressed by that. But um, he's, he's certainly done his through communicating and he's made mistakes and he's played the fool, but he's communicated honestly, openly and constantly, consistently. Absolutely. Is this an ideology of leadership here in in that in that there are leaders who are going to listen and therefore be i guess more like guides than leaders and then there are leaders who are not going to listen and they're going to say this is what we're doing and you're just going to follow me and i don't really care what you think because i'm only paying you to follow me an autocratic dictator is what we call that <laughs> um so yes i think the good leaders are the ones who aren't out in front you know, commanding the troops, they're the one actually in the trenches listening and working with their teams to to achieve their goal. You, the loyalty that you get from 
from that alone is enough to help your business succeed more. Um, the knowledge that is shared would be is very, very valuable, incredibly valuable because people feel comfortable in coming to you and giving knowledge. I, I believe, and I've never been at the um, great echelons of CEO um, position, but I understand it's very lonely at the top and it's going to be even lonelier if you are not a good communicator and you don't take time to listen to your team. I, th- I think you'll be sitting up there alone and, and people will feed you BS just <laughs> because, you know, that's what makes you happy, you, don't, you know, but you're not prepared to take the good and the bad and the listen so... And, and to listen. So I think that's the difference. Yeah. I think also bringing it back to what we talked about at the beginning, Daniel, about strategic communications, that, that the key is that having, having a purpose and leaders who are values-driven and driven by purpose are more effective than leaders who aren't. So if leaders are really clear about why they're there and what they're trying to achieve and the way they want to do that and the values and the behaviours they want to support along the way, then planning their communications to make sure that everything sends those same messages and that all those communications are orientated towards those outcomes and those goals and consistent with those values. And then that they manage that communication and the messages and the channels that they use and ensuring they reach all of those stakeholders and all of that, those sorts of things, as well then as the responsive stuff. So that's not only listening, but then showing they've listened by being responsive, doing something about that two-way communication, what's come back, doing something about that, showing that they have rejigged plans or ideas or communication as a result of that or just showing that they've listened to people and talk about the feedback. So it's a it's a whole kind of long cycle of having the values and the goals and the objectives in the first place, planning how you're going to get that information out there, actually scheduling and managing that communication, listening to the feedback, taking that on board, doing something about it, and then re-communicating that back out again. So it's it's very cyclical. You're constantly doing it, constantly rejigging and repurposing that, but with that central values and goals in the middle that drives everything. And I think that's a, another aspect of this that leaders really have to know who they are and what they stand for and why they're doing this and where they want to go, they have to really have that strong core purpose to then actually be able to make the strategic communications help them deliver those outcomes. So as a leader, your your communication, as strategic as it is, the ideology behind it comes from within you. So in a sense, you have to be really quite aligned with the business, the principles that you live by and the principles that the business is um, communicating need to be those same principles. Absolutely. And general public, stakeholders, staff will always know when a leader is out of alignment with the principles of the organisation or if their behaviour doesn't match the values that the organisation is espousing. Uh, And I, I think that you know, across the pandemic at the moment, we've seen a lot of companies have reputational damage when the way they've treated their staff or their customers hasn't matched up to the way they've marketed themselves across uh, across their, their community and their consumers previously. The same politicians are coming up against that same public looking at them and and holding them to account against their values and their behaviours and the way in which um, they see their behaviours playing out with their their constituents and their communities Uh, and right down to individual families are having those discussions within their families about, well, your your core values, you know, when we look at the the vaccination, anti-vaccination groups, your core values are about caring for my family, so I think you should be getting vaccinated and and some of those discussions. So I think on on a very micro level up to a very macro level, values and words have to match for people to have trust and to believe in that leadership. And at some point there is an ideological, what we've seen lately, a, a, a leave-off or a drop of the, the ideology that people normally have because things have 
gotten difficult and and sort of the first thing out the window is the ideology that's normally printed on the poster around the organization you know yeah. whatever it is all organizations have it we believe in people we're employees first or customers first yeah gone as soon as things get difficult have you experienced that a lot in your in the crises that you've both managed all the time <laughs> all the time um in fact one of the uh, businesses we worked with we actually walked into the boardroom with the with the senior leadership team and on the wall printed outside the room we were in, there was the values of the company. And went, okay, we walked inside and we asked them, what were the values? And none of those senior leaders could come up with the full list of values. <laughs> um, so we do find often that values are, are often words that have been plucked that sound really, really good and just put onto some paper and or on a wall somewhere and thrown around. They're actually not lived, they're not embedded, and they're not used to make decisions. Um, and, and here's a tip again, I, I have to keep going back to my experience with being a frontline meter spokesperson is if you're ever caught out there's some questions you can't answer particularly in a crisis but you can always go back to your values and um along the lines of um you know i know that this particular um scenario or event doesn't align with our values of being a good corporate citizen and we're looking into it so your values are incredibly important um in as a foundation for your communications um, and if you don't have your values, if you don't believe in those values, if they're just words, not actions, um, actual things that you use to make decisions and the way you act and um, within your business, then that, that is a failure, I think, of, of a leadership team to not have that embedded and to not use those values to your advantage, particularly in your communications. I would also, um, I, I think it's, it's key, if you have those values built into your decision-making process, then that changes everything. And for a leader, this is a, a fabulous way to be able to live and breathe your mission and your culture and your values. I'll give an example. I did a, a project a number of years ago and it was linking up government departments because there's, a, there's an idea that all government departments have one great big data bank of knowledge about you and that, that they all share when, in fact, they don't. We're certainly getting better at joined-up government these days, I understand, but back then... Government departments each had their own pots of information, which wasn't easy to share, and it wasn't easy to do business between government departments. And we started a, a project, a whole-of-government project, that was about making it easy to do business between, making it easy to do business with government. And we had one arm for the general public and one arm that was actually between government departments so that we could try and improve that interaction between government departments. And so every project we came up with, every time someone came into my office and asked me for something or put a brief me for something, I'd say, how is that making it easier for people to do business with us? Or how is that making it easier for us to do business with that other government department? And you'd see people would stop and go, oh, uh, well, it doesn't, but it's this. It's like, no, you have to be able to link everything we do to that outcome. How does this make it easier? And once I kind of got into the habit of that, it was great because normally in government you create a lot of red tape just by virtue of the way you do things and we'd have a project and we'd say, oh, well, we'll need these policies and we'll need this and we'll need that. It's like, okay, that's great. We understand we need all of those things. But how can we still have those things in place but make it easier? So instead of having five forms, we might just have one form and instead of making that a form you've got to print out and sign, let's try and making it an online form. And now if we know that five agencies will need access to that information, instead of one agency hoarding all the information, how can we send that information to five agencies at the same time when that form is filled out? And so we started to think creatively about how could we make that easier? And so every single person in that organisation always knew what our value and our core purpose and our mission was and could tell you the ways in which they had made that happen. And that's where you get an organisation that, that really starts to make a difference. Jane, I'm sure if you ran for the prime ministership uh, with the idea that you were going to make forms easier and there were going to be fewer of them, you would be voted in unanimously. <laughs> <laughs> uh, look, Daniel, for many, I worked in government for 23 years and over many glasses of wine, I have posited every possible solution to all problems in government. Um, <laughs> and But a lot of them can be solved with better communication. 
It's been a really riveting discussion today, uh, Leonie and, and Jane, and some really good insight into communication in the different organisations and sectors that you've both both worked in and your consultancy um, through Stormbirds. Would you be able to give us some advice for the, the, the graduates coming out of the USQ MBA who are going to move hopefully into a leadership role um, after they graduate about the importance of understanding strategic communication and, and undertaking it effectively? My advice is, is obviously I hope um, the graduates re- understand that communications is an expert function much like operational functions, IT functions, finance functions. Um, No leader is expected to be an expert in every single function within their business. Um, If you are not an effective communicator, you know, you can do things to be better at it. Bring on the experts. Make sure your um, strategic communications team is sitting at the table for virtually everything. Um, Communications needs to be at executive level. Uh, um, because the people, other executives in other functions, this is not their expertise and they may overlook opportunities um, to make communications better. So that's the advice I would like to get. We don't expect um, all CEOs to be experts at communications, but to have the experts at the table and to take on board their advice, take on board their advice and give them adequate resourcing to do their job um, and you build your team around you of experts and that's how you be a good leader and you listen to them and obviously communication and help them to affect change within your organisation. Yeah, I, I think that's a, a great list, Leonie. I think being authentic is key. You can't pretend to be somebody else. You have to be you and that means you communicate in the language that you feel comfortable with, in the manner that you feel comfortable with. That's not to say that you don't have to work at it. You will be, as a leader, you will be continually growing and learning and changing your skills and improving your skills. Communication is not something that's natural to everybody. It is really actually important to work at it. That means going and doing media training, going and taking some public speak, doing some public speaking training, uh, sitting down, as, as Leonie says, use the communications experts you have in your business. Let them guide you and teach you and develop your understanding of strategic communications because the more you know and practice, like the 10,000 hours, the more you do of it, the better you get at it, the more effective you will be as a leader. There's no spin or artifice in in learning how to speak, learning how to be an effective speaker or learning how to do effective consultation or learning how to be an effective facilitator. That's all part and parcel of building your skill as a leader. And I think that we often think, oh, we have to keep updating our professional experience, our professional development in our specialty areas, but we also have to continually update our interaction skills and our communication skills and our strategic planning skills. And I think working on yourself, being yourself, but constantly working on improving yourself in that space is is really important and also as Leonie says use those experts around you to get the knowledge so that you can do those things you can strategically plan communications that are purposeful you can manage that you can be responsive to it and you then become really effective at it and and once you get actually getting to doing this constantly for every project, for every decision, for anything that goes on um, and you're actually as a leader asking for what the communication plan or asking what the audience is, it actually simplifies the process because that's when you can target um, the right people at the right time through the right channel and it, it does simplify. It does sound a bit overwhelming that it's another layer of something over something complex, but communications, good strategic communications actually helps to simplify. And it's um, obviously strategy is just a plan. Um, if you've got a plan for every possible scenario or, you know, the top three scenarios, you're actually, uh, it's a risk mitigation as well. So, again, that simplifies and it, it actually um, strengthens the business because you're prepared for anything that might be left to field as well. So, at first, it might seem a bit difficult to get these processes in place, but once they're there, the simplification is well worth the effort. And, and I think also is, Daniel, is looking looking around to see the leaders that you admire and look at, look at how 
they behave, look at how they approach their leadership, look at how they conduct themselves. Uh, and I've, I've been incredibly lucky in my career to have had some really amazing bosses who, who helped me to develop my skill set, but also who showed me what good leadership looked like. And that's, that's invaluable. Surround yourself and follow good people. Go and work for people who you really admire and see how they do it. It's a, it's a great way to, to learn. Get mentors in this space. Go and, and talk, to, talk to other leaders because talking to other leaders will also help you develop your own leadership and develop your own uh, communication skills. So look around. There's a, a, the old adage that a good leader is one you would follow into war. For some time now, I've said there haven't been terribly many leaders around that I think I'd be willing to follow into war. And again, COVID has really brought out where we see truly effective leadership. And I think I'm very much a fan of the current New Zealand Prime Minister, Jacinda Ardern. I think she has absolutely proven that leaders can be both caring and effective and make good decisions and be exceptional communicators. I think she, what she's done with breaking down that fourth wall, she has very regular, she does Facebook Live, she does streams on Twitter and, and Instagram and those, those sorts of things, where she talks directly to people and explains things directly to people, cutting out the whole media and journalists, which is fantastic for her because it means she doesn't get all of those filters on her message, but it makes her seem quite approachable and very human and she is able to understand, explain her decision-making to her community so that they can understand what's going on. I think she's been incredibly effective and I think, again, have a look at those people and just see what it is that sets them apart. And it's all part of growing yourself as an effective leader is how do you want to do that? You might not be able to have her reach. You might not be able to do it the way that she does it, but you might have something that is particular to you that's helping you connect authentically with your audience. Yeah, that, absolutely. That's great advice. And certainly she has um, very good empathy, um, uh, you know, in those videos, those Facebook Live videos, those videos she does from home after she's put the baby to bed. She is definitely oh, you're relatable. You're a follower too, Daniel, I can, <laughs> tell, I can tell. She's relatable in the way that um, that possibly some other leaders are not or, or some other leaders try to be, but it, it's it's not authentic and you can tell it's not all authentic when you know they're trying to build the cubby house or the chicken coop with with the kids and it, it yeah. doesn't really come across <laughs> <laughs> look that's great advice um Leonie and Jane thanks very much it's 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 about knowing that communication strategic communication especially is an expertise so you have to consult with those professionals and and also as a leader you need to learn the skills that are needed those communication skills but as we talked about you know with Jacinta Ardern as, as a excellent example e empathy authenticity um, you need all these things to be a great leader mm, absolutely Leonie Van Dieven and, and Jane Hedger uh, from Stormbirds Organisational Strategies, thank you so much for coming on the show today. Thank you, Daniel. That's great. Information about our guests can always be found in the podcast show notes in your podcast app or on the course site. This has been a University of Southern Queensland podcast.